welcome to a very special episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, our goal is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. And for this episode, we're taking a different approach to doing that. We're launching a new podcast format we call Battle of the Channel Stars. And here's how it works. Our discussion today will be divided into four segments with separate but related topics. Our two guests will share their perspective on each topic, and then I'll join in on the discussion. Now, here's where it gets fun. At the end of each segment, I'm going to award one point to who I believe made the best case, stated their points most clearly, shared the most compelling anecdotes, things like that. And so if you're saying, well, I need more detailed rules, what's the exact rule book for Battle Battle the Channel Stars? My casino, my rules, right? So if there's something that I like, that's who I'm awarding the point to. And if you don't like, you can go play in another another casino. I don't mean to get contentious, but that's kind of how we're going to do it. It's going to be a judgment call all the way. So what we're going to do is keep track of the points. For those watching on our YouTube channel, you're going to be able to see on this scoreboard that we have uh, behind us. For the folks who are only listening on audio and can't see it, this is a state-of-the-art scoreboard. I mean, there's clearly artificial intelligence that's part of it. This is the best that the money could buy you. Um, under $10 actually uh, within the budget for for this event. So, and then what we're gonna do is after we keep track of all the points at the end of the episode, whoever earns more points is gonna be declared that episode's gold medalist while the other participant is a silver medalist. You might say we're gonna have a winner and a loser, but to me, there are no losers in the RSPA. We're gonna have somebody with a gold and somebody with a silver. Now, if after four segments, the score is tied, which is actually what I'm rooting for, we're gonna go into a 60 second overtime with a bonus topic to determine who gets gold and who gets silver. So that's how we play Battle of the Channel Stars. We're gonna have a meaningful conversation in a fun framework. All right, so let's meet our two combatants or contestants or members or friends, uh, however you wanna categorize them. So Rick Fueling is the CEO of Wright Enterprises of VAR in Sartell, Minnesota. That's northwest of the Twin Cities. He's also the CEO of Cloud Retailer, a hybrid cloud POS system for beer, wine, and liquor retailers. Rick is an active member of the RSP niche and startup ISV community. And in 2018, he was recognized as a rising star by the RSPA's next-gen community. Finally, Rick is a returning guest to our podcast. He and David Goswin from HP starred in the first episode of The Trusted Advisor about the future of the retail IT channel. Hey, Rick, great to talk with you again. Morning, Bruce. I hope you're intimidated after that that intro. I'm shaking. <laughs> it's, it's clear to see how great we started already. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so the other our other guest is Bruce Mann. He's a president of Mann & Associates, a provider of consulting services and coaching to organizations and individuals in the POS and payments industries. For 18 years, he helped lead CRS as a vice president of marketing. Prior to that, for 18 years, he was general manager at Indiana Cash Drawer with five years in between at APG Cash Drawer. Bruce is a past RSP board member. He's been active on several RSP committees, and he's led several education sessions at Retail Now. Bruce Mann, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Great to have you here. Great to have both of you here. Now, our focus today is leadership and a video that Rick shared with me titled 10 Reasons Sports Teams Are Better Run Than Most Businesses. Now, we're going to list all 10 reasons and link to that video in the show notes for this episode uh, and on the RSPA blog. But for purposes of today's discussion and competition, we're going to take a deep dive into four of those reasons and see what we can learn from them. So first, Rick, why did you feel compelled to share that video with me? And then once Rick is done, Bruce, I'm curious, because you said after you watched the video, you said, quote, that might be the best short video I've ever seen. I'm curious to hear that. So Rick, first, please, and again, no points. This is just warm-ups. This is just stretching out before we go toe-to-toe. 
So I, I believe it was 2018 retail now. Um, John Kirk, at one of the keynote uh, presentations, uh, you know, a room full of, I don't know how many hundreds of people uh, had us it, during, you know, close to the start of the show doing football drills and uh, not taking no for an answer. You know, everybody in the room needed to get up on their feet and get fired up. Uh, and then uh, Jim, you know, you being the author of the walk-on method, a book about, uh, you know, challenges in young athletic careers and how that translates into business. I didn't have a choice. I, I had to send it. Uh, and, and for the record, John still has me fired up uh, from then. So I, ha I had to share. Uh, personally, the reason why I really liked that video uh, was just the, the contrast that it creates between, you know, sports teams that want to win and, and business. Um, it, uh, it, 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 I think, I think a lot of people after watching the video would, uh, you know, if you frame it in the mindset of what a, what a champion is after, uh, you feel silly with some of the business decisions you might be making, uh, and probably for the wrong reasons. The, the simplicity, the contrast blew me away, so I had to send it along. Great. Thank you for that. And uh, John Kirk, RSP CEO, yeah, former football coach uh, and broadcaster at uh, Central Florida. Yeah, and uh, folks still talk about that. I actually got that uh, recorded uh, as well. I'm going to have to go find that out. Maybe we'll try to include that in the show notes as well if I can, if I can dig that up, get everybody fired up again. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, why did you like uh, the video? Uh, what, did, what did you get out of it? I think that's probably one of the few videos I've watched completely that was business related, any of the YouTube. Uh, most of the YouTube videos I see have some component of advertorial included. Uh, this was just pure uh, pragmatism. You know, I, I was looking at this and, and thinking, if I had seen this 45 years ago, my business life would have been so much simpler. And it's one of those videos you should watch frequently, like every morning before you begin making decisions and before your first meeting with uh, an employee who might need a little extra love. Uh, it's just uh, very succinct. And again, you know, the pragmatism is, is outstanding. Uh, less than 10 minutes, I would encourage anyone whether or not they choose to watch this podcast in its entirety to at least view the video. Got it. Great. And we, of course, hope that folks do both. And what we're going to do is, again, a deep dive into four of those areas. And like Bruce said, they're pragmatic. This isn't just some philosophical or mindset or something like that. It's actually things that you're able to do and implement uh, inside your organization. So, all right. So if you guys are all, all warmed up, are you ready to play the first ever Battle of the Channel Stars? Let's do it. Rock and roll. All right. So again, Rick and Bruce are going to share their perspective on each topic. Then I'll join in on the discussion and then I'm going to award one point to who I believe made the best case. All right. So our first battle here for uh, one point. Number three on the list of reasons most sports teams are better run than most businesses uh, is uh, recruiting. They say the CEO should also be the chief talent officer. So what's your take on that, Rick, first, and, and then Bruce, about the CEO uh, focusing on recruiting being chief talent officer? 
the, I think the idea is thought provoking. Uh, I, I don't think it's wrong for a lot of uh, many organizations. Uh, that said, in my perfect world, the primary driver of you know being a talent magnet would be the product. Um, you know, my my um, my perfect world, our product is so good that it draws talent to us. Now, that doesn't mean that the CEO or myself, and, and that's my takeaway, is that I could be more proactive in, in terms of uh, keeping an eye out and trying to draw talent to us. Um, so it, as Bruce said, it's a pragmatic takeaway. Um, uh, though this is one of the points where I'm, I'm not sure I'm 110% on board, still a lesson that that uh that that's worth thinking about got it and bruce before you answer so recruiting uh, we know that in athletics they focus a ton of energy on recruiting and maybe less on, on the x's and o's and bruce you and i went uh, during an inspire event a couple years ago down in sanibel florida over to see florida southwestern a junior college and once we walked in and we saw those teams warming up we're like Oh my gosh, like the talent level here is extreme. And I'm sure, you know, that team, uh, no matter what the X's and O's, they're going to beat 90% of their opponents. So what's your take on recruiting in the business world and the role of the, the CEO? And just to follow up with that, that was the most phenomenal JC uh, facility I've ever seen and probably ever will see. <laughs> uh, it which was is a first part of, the team, of course. Uh, most folks aren't going to be excited about uh, being recruited by a company that has antiquated facilities and so forth, or even systems. But the recruiting side of this, it really resonated with me. Uh, thinking back uh, in, in my own career to the early 1980s, and Indiana Cash Drawer attended, began attending around 1982, uh, a computer trade show known as Comdex. Uh, Comdex in its heyday had 150,000 resellers of computer equipment, system software that would attend. Uh, it was across six different facilities in Las Vegas. So enormous competition if you were trying to attract interest with uh, any kind of a product with resellers. That was really the beginning of uh, cash drawers with PC on top or PCOD, PC on a cash drawer, I think. Uh, out of a 10-foot booth, we would typically uh, have 1,200 knuckle buster leads. Back in the days when you would, the old credit card style, uh, that's how you gathered a lead at a trade show. And I would take those back to Indiana uh, and wonder, okay, now what? I get these 1,200 leads. Uh, Comdex was always held the week before the week of Thanksgiving. And the first year, literally, I happened to go into a radio shack the day after Thanksgiving. And I'm thinking, where in this small town of Shelbyville, Indiana, am I going to find any folks with technology capability or experience? So I'm watching this uh, young man who happened to be multilingual. Uh, son of missionaries, actually, traveled the world, and he was the most servant-driven and passionate about his position and the technology. 
and uh, you know, a light bulb went off even in my you know 10 watt head that said huh how do i interest this guy so i walked over to him and he's helping me with whatever and i said uh, so miguel how do you like working the day after thanksgiving how do you like working on thanksgiving weekend when most of your friends have four days off and his response was it really sucks <laughs> I said, so, okay. I said, well, you know, it's interesting. How do you like working? I love the technology, et cetera, et cetera, but I just really don't like retail. So I handed him a business card and said, well, give me a call next week. Like Monday morning at 8 a.m., my phone was ringing. And Miguel came to work for us, and uh, I think he put almost 20 years in, and then he was recruited away by someone with uh, brighter prospects of some type. Uh, I, I utilized that strategy for at least 10 more years. So every year around Thanksgiving, I would go out in what would have been Best Buy in those days uh, and a number of other uh, electronics facilities and just would troll the floors for those weekend warriors and whomever and hired 90% of the sales staff in that fashion uh, the other thing I would mention is, you know, if you're talking to individuals, young people who are, uh, whether they're looking for a job or not, whether they're actively seeking a job, they need to always be interviewing. You never know where your next opportunity lies. You don't know when someone is uh, sizing you up for an opportunity. We think about the POS industry, how many of the good salespeople in POS came from being servers or bartenders in hospitality. Sure. We see the same thing in the retail side. So I would uh, yeah. encourage everyone, and especially those business owners, to always be recruiting, no matter where they are, and to even uh, consider some of those out-of-box recruiting means, uh, and good, good things will happen. Just, yeah, as an aside, uh, just as an aside, uh, Sheldon Adelson, who founded Comdex, passed away this last week. Yes. And he owned uh, casinos in Macau, the Sands Empire, and so forth, and, you know, multi-billionaire. Yeah, sold that thing at the right time, no doubt, to get into the, the casino industry. And to use a sports phrase building on what you said, Bruce, is, you know, keep your head on a swivel, right? They always say if there's a turnover in football, you shouldn't just be running down the field. You got to keep your head on a swivel and be looking around because somebody could be can be knocking you off your off your feet. And that's how I feel about from a recruiting standpoint. It's not necessarily some methodical game plan that everybody, you know, I'm going to go and recruit. But you should always have your head on a swivel and see if there's somebody good you might bump into. One of the best people I ever hired, you mentioned about Miguel, uh, Ken Pasco is somebody that I hired back at uh, Jameson Publishing. And so I first got to know Ken when he was a college student. He organized a basketball league that I was uh, coaching in, and I had a bunch of fourth and fifth graders playing in it. was really impressed back then with how organized and thorough Ken was. He then was able to keep in touch with him over the years a lot from a sports standpoint. And then he was actually running a fitness facility, and a neighbor of mine had an engagement with him. And he handled that thing so well. I was like, man, if there's ever an opening for an operations manager, Ken's going to be the first person who I call. And sure enough, called him 
fantastic operations manager, and he's still there uh, with Jameson Publishing to this day. So again, it doesn't have to be some thorough, you know, methodical plan that you have to do. Just always keep your head on a swivel, always keep some business cards with you and uh, be able to recruit. So, all right, so now it's time for me to award the points and Bruce and Rick both said they're gonna be thrilled with whoever I award those to. And so Bruce, I'm gonna give you the first point uh, for this because I agree in terms of that's where you need to recruit. You never know where uh, somebody great is gonna come from. And again, for those watching on uh, YouTube, you can see the R stands for Rick, the B stands for Bruce, the R also could stand for red and the B would stand for blue, but that seems a little bit redundant. So, all right, after the first quarter, Bruce takes a one nothing lead. I feel like I should do in competition interviews and see how Rick feels, but we'll just move on uh, to the next part of it. So uh, point number two. So reason four on the list is that sports teams have playbooks. They systemize better than businesses do. So Bruce, go first, your take on uh, system uh, systems and systematizing your business. This one resonated so well with me and you know, for a number of reasons. During COVID in the NFL, especially, we saw teams scrambling to find replacement players. We saw offensive linemen coming out of retirement. We saw position players uh, being pulled up off of practice squads. Uh, I think the folks who came out of retirement or yeah, were, were probably the most uh, impressive because they played well. They represented their teams well. They played the positions well. You know, that either reveals that there just aren't that many plays in football <laughs> or there aren't that many blocking patterns in football. But I think what it really uh, reveals is that they have taken playbooks and video to a whole new level. Uh, you know, today's playbook may be videos. Uh, much like the YouTube video that we saw, you know, if you were trying to train a manager, but the, uh, the those playbooks were phenomenal. And I'm thinking back to those early 1980 days and I was bringing those folks in and I'd hand them a stack of these knuckle buster leads and say, here's what we sell, have at it. Uh, if I'd have had playbooks, who knows what success we might've enjoyed. Uh, Everyone hands an employee, or at least well-run companies, at least hand an employee a new employee handbook. And employees will read those vigorously. Why? Because, oh, that's where the money is, how many days off, what's a 401k look like, what's my insurance plan, et cetera, et cetera. And their spouses even read those more vigorously. <laughs> Let's face it. Uh, how do you engage a new employee with a playbook that is more about the business? culture, uh, sales practices. You know, when I speak with uh, some of the best of our industry, most of them uh, of, of my age or older, you know, my friends from the who began in the industry in the uh, late 19th century uh, attended sugar camp with NCR and they, you know, everyone gushes about NCR's little sugar camp. Sugar Camp was a playbook in a sense, uh, role playing, uh, you know, teaching people how to uh, sell, what that sales funnel would look like, explaining that you know you're not going to win every deal, but you got to have enough deals to keep winning, you know, to uh, support your lifestyle and so forth. Uh, that really uh, needs to be a part of a playbook. But then beyond that, 
as I look at some of the most successful companies today or the ones who were really changing our industry, they have incredible playbooks. Uh, they, they really have these standard operating procedures so that they can remotely deploy systems and even outsource programming, outsource installation, because they're not selling in their own geographic territories any longer. Uh, that's really uh, not even a phenomena anymore. It's just accepted practice that you can sell anywhere if you have established standard operating procedures for the, for the programming, installation, training, service, and support, and that you also have systems that can then be built around those standard operating procedures. Uh, I'm a longtime proponent of you cannot automate what you haven't manually documented or defined well. And anyone who attempts to install a CRM system without having first manually outlined how they handle those customer interactions is just setting themselves up for failure within those. So the, the playbook side of things, seeing what I saw in the, in the NFL this year with you know, bringing these players in, some of them there for two or three days before their first game, how was it that they learned? Well, they, they were able to study playbooks. Yeah, uh, and, for, and for the Browns for about, playoff game, Baker Mayfield met his reserve left guard an hour before the game. He introduced himself exactly. and walked over yeah. to him. So it was had to, had to, had to have something to learn uh, before Baker wasn't going to teach him everything. So thank you, Bruce. Uh, Rick, uh, your take on systems and the importance of that in an organization. So uh, I'm a I'm a win at any means necessary kind of guy. Can I can I say everything Bruce said and then this is that does that work? Sure. You're welcome. Knock yourself out. <laughs> uh, Bruce, you actually quote you know one of the things in in that reason that that caught my attention and Bruce Bruce said it was you shouldn't implement technology until your playbook is great. You know. You know the the playbook enables you to do um, to implement that system well or to uh, outsource installation, et cetera. So it in, it opens so many doors. Uh, this this point for me was one of those shocking contrasts. Those the, the things that I liked about this video where you where you put you know business against um, sports and it just it seems silly. It uh, uh, so. My um, one of my sons is, is a swimmer, you know, high school, excellent, very good team. And, um, you know, if you asked him how many how much practice did you do before you just the first swim meet? Those kids are in the pool at 630 in the morning before school and after school. I mean, four hours a day and it's a high school sport. Uh, Bruce, you mentioned throwing 1200 leads at a new employee and say, you know, have at it, go to town. That's that still happens. Um, that still happens all the time. Uh, how is it that you know uh, an 18-year-old kid is getting 30 hours or 40 hours or 50 hours of practice uh, before they can attempt something in the real world? But in the professional world, a couple hours a day, two days of training have at it, go to town. So um, uh, such contrast. So one Wait, of the and things- Wait, if I just pause, Rick, not only have at it, 
but here, we're going to give you a whole bunch of money, right? And yes. we're not even sure you're any good at it. We're going to throw a whole bunch of money. Like at least your son, like they're just, you know, it's probably the school owns the pool, you know? Yes. So it's not like some massive overhead. You're throwing all this overhead at it and crossing your fingers. Yeah, you're here as a volunteer versus being paid. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we absolutely also need to do better at this. But one thing we've done that uh, I think is, is um, a really great concept and people go through it are way better afterwards. We call it our flight simulator. So with our technical team, uh, when, they, when they join, and we need to do this regularly. That was my lesson after watching this. But uh, we have one of our longtime employees play the role as a customer and one of our new techs play the role as tech. Uh, and literally um, the person who's acting as the customer is in front of faulty software or hardware. And everything that can go wrong does go wrong during those calls. And we rinse and repeat over and over and over again until they, until they kind of knock off the dust and before they're ready to try it themselves, you know, with, with uh, somebody standing behind them, you know, helping them out. Um, but the flight simulator is huge. I think practice is huge. That was my lesson from this. Got it. Thank you for that. And so uh, I appreciate that feedback, Rick. And what I would add to that is I agree with you. You said uh, the shocking contrast between athletics and the working world where, you know, sports teams will work on every single aspect of their business over and over and over and all the drills and have the playbook and study it and memorize it before you even have a scrimmage. Then after that scrimmage, you go and break all those things down and figure out what you can do better. And then when we uh, last year did the uh, RSPA sales compensation study, one of the questions we asked was, when do you consider a sales rep fully trained? And a giant percent of people said less than a month or less than six weeks or something like that. And you're thinking that, that like, how can that be possible? You know, I can understand if it's a job that is just very rote, right? Or if it's, you know, I'm looking at my window now, we have all sorts of, you know, snow. If it's shoveling snow, like there's not a whole lot of complication uh, with that. But if it's driving a truck that's shoveling the snow, that requires more. And if it's selling technology solutions, it seems like it'd be, it'd be way more. So uh, I agree with, uh, with both of you that, um, not only do you need those playbooks, but also not just to run your business better, it also helps you as a leader to delegate and then deal with more impactful areas, right? If you're the one always, you know, plugging the finger in the leaks or jumping in and helping somebody out, you're never going to get to do R&D, get into new markets, examine new products. And so, Rick, I'm going to give you the point on this because of how you said the shocking contrast and then also just the fact that you have the uh, the flight simulator as well. Big fan of that, big fan of over-preparing uh, before folks go and jump ahead into it so all right so now we're bruce, at halftime bruce i was looking you right in the eyes when i was fist pumping just letting you know just letting <laughs> you know. it's all Let, about eye contact little do we know they're actually in a room right next to each other and at the end it could result in fisticuffs um Actually, Bruce is, Bruce is in Florida for this broadcast. Bruce and, uh, and Rick is in the Twin Cities. So, gentlemen, it's halftime. Feel free to make some adjustments, review the tape, 
but for our listeners, uh, we're going to pause here and let you know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. Annual memberships for VARS start at just $250 a year for dozens of high-value services, including access to a legal advisor, a security advisor, and a VAR and ISD business advisor, exclusive e-learning programs through the RSP Academy, discounts on business services, and a college scholarship program for the families of RSP members. Vendors and software developers benefit from an RSP membership as well through introductions to VAR and ISV members and by showcasing their solutions through the exclusive RSPA Solutions Center. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star and Shift4 Payments. Our gold sponsors are Heartland and ScanSource. To receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. That's membership at gorspa.org. And finally, this is like hitting the horn, you know, time to get on the floor, you know, back from your bench. Finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2021, July 25th through 27th in Nashville. Retail Now is where the industry meets. All right, so that was halftime. Hopefully you guys uh, are cooled down or warmed up, whatever your tactic is. So let's move into the third quarter. Uh, and Rick, we're gonna have you answer this one first. So reason number seven on the list of reasons sports teams are better run than most businesses is accountability. Sports teams hold individuals accountable and they really lean into public transparency. There's no secret to what people need to work on. When a coach is correcting a player in practice, they don't say, let's pull you off to the side, right? And let's have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. They say, no, you're left hand or you got to get lower you got to do this but in a business setting that's considered impolite but in sports we see it leads actually to results that make people feel generally good when they're achieving those results so again rick i know you're passionate about this if you can go first and then bruce uh, let you weigh in on the concept of accountability in sports and in the business world uh reason seven was the part in the video where my you know hair on my neck stood up uh this one this was one of the most interesting ones to me. And, and and part of it is based on some of the things that are going on right now in, inside my own business. Uh, I, I started this business when I was young, I think about 21 years old. So most of my experience, I mean, I'm college educated, but the, my dad said, you know, after I got done with college, you know, now the real learning begins. Most of my knowledge is the result of falling on my butt and getting back up again and give I, I give people a lot of feedback and I always thought it was a sign of respect to do that privately and there's still things that need to be said privately right but um, I'm I'm changing my tune on that one uh, so uh, we we have a group of individuals that who are super talented who have been here for a long time and work together and we are we are having some challenges with that group and i was addressing this with them as individuals privately and very you know, too often i would hear well what about the other person well what about the other person's none of your business uh i started addressing it publicly and you have to do it tactically tactfully you know you have to be a good coach you have to be you know one of the quotes from i think this section of the video was uh you know uh, uh, results through accountability drive the human spirit you know so if, if everybody has that heart of a champion and they're 
and they're in it you know that their first concern is the team and outcomes um you know we can skip tiptoeing around politics and emotions and we can start talking about what's going on with the understanding that it's not about hurting anybody it's about being a winner um so yeah i i i think uh i think this what's, is huge and i'm gonna what's start an example of of you addressing something publicly because again if somebody's an absentee problem that's nothing nothing that you bring to the group so and so has an absentee problem i guess people would be noticing uh, that or, or something of, of that nature. What's something that you feel comfortable now bringing up in a public setting and you feel is more helpful uh, for that individual and for the rest of the team? Uh, I, so I, I'm still learning. I'm still learning what this means exactly. But in the example that I gave, I, you know, me and one other individual from our leadership team sat down those three individuals in a room and basically spoke about how their biggest strengths or their biggest weaknesses and how uh, if leveraged positively, man, those things could all combine together to be a great thing or a terrible thing and we have a decision to make. Um, so that that's an example or, or another example is, um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a proponent of a blameless culture. Like don't start by blaming people, start by blaming the systems and fix that. Uh, how did we create an environment where somebody could fail? Let's fix that. On the other hand, when you know we missed an appointment, well, so we talk about that, like we use group chat a lot. We talk about that in that group chat. And I would say before, the name of the person would have been left out. And now it's not. Um, it's not attacking that person, but in the context of discussing what happened, why it happened, it now includes who did it. Uh, it I, I think it, it adds a level of personal accountability that wasn't there before. And it also gives that person an opportunity to more openly discuss why it happened. And I think, I think it does lend itself to this blameless culture though, it, still, because now they can say, they can more publicly address why it happened, which very well could be a system problem. And we can get to the root of that, whereas before they might have just stood there silently and listened to, you know, their team leader speak. And right, so, or encourage them to sweep it under the rug so nobody gets blamed for it. And if it's seen as a learning experience as opposed to you're in trouble, you stink at this, but exactly. how do we get better? That, that's different and that's what it should be. It's um, a richer conversation if the person involved is part of the, the data. I mean, that's important data. If you're trying to address a problem, the person involved and and it hopefully if done right it draws them into uh it engages them to help find the solution great thank you rick bruce your take on accountability It'd be great if you would be like accountability that's stupid uh that'd be really interesting to see you take a completely different uh different tact on it I, i'm thinking you won't knowing you i uh i'm very grateful today that i don't have employees to manage <laughs> you know, the, we have this uh, mentality of everyone gets a trophy. <laughs> you know, books written about that, obviously, and big debates about the the process of uh, okay, now we have participation trophies. I remember coaching a soccer team one time and young kids, and uh, 
oh, we don't keep score. You know, and I quickly informed those folks, the kids do. Every one of them knows what the score is. <laughs> and the uh, and as a part of that entire process, I was doing some research. Uh, there's there's this uh, trend toward over reward uh, in in all areas. You know, 43% of all college students now receive A's as their mark. Now, I remember bell curves, and I don't remember any bell curve with 43% on the front end. You know, I I understand that most kids that go to Harvard probably deserve an A. But that's not a large enough group to, uh, to move those statistics that far off of off of some form of a, a reasonable bell curve. But accountability has been so lost in our thin-skinned world. Uh, we don't see it among our competition. When I'm thinking about competition, when the the Japanese automakers began setting up manufacturing facilities in the U.S. They took great lengths to hire employees that included group interviews, and they encouraged peer pressure toward accountability. Uh, it's not just management pushing for accountability. It's everyone in the culture is expecting count accountability. And if you have a culture where accountability isn't expected, you do see degradation in the services that are provided and you're having to clean up after other folks who leave something partially finished. If someone is a clock watcher and leaves before they've satisfied a customer, uh, leave a customer hanging or dangling and uh, you know, everyone, the entire organization, that, that reflects upon the entire organization. So there, there must be some accountability in that fashion and how do you deal with it as management? Uh, I can tell you that in my experience, employees expect management to hold the employees' peers accountable. I was in a setting many years ago, and I was young and inexperienced and dumb and had an employee that was just not even, you know, you, you, there's, there's this old joke about uh, somebody walking in and saying, uh, you're not paying me what I'm worth, and the manager's saying yes, but we have minimum wage laws. So the uh, that that was the way this particular employee was perceived by all of his peers. And I'm I understand that individual had four children. He was trying to provide for them, and I'm thinking, what's going to happen to that family? And I've got cold feet over any kind of action. And finally, it just came down to a termination. So when I walked back out into the production area, people applauded. <laughs> wow. Um, seriously, I mean, that's not yeah. a not not a uh, an untrue statement. It's just to see those types of things. And, you know, that helps stiffen your backbone a bit. And it also sends a message to other employees. Whoa, they're serious here. And the, the accountability and the performance and uh, any type of quality uh, reflects reflection is also a part of that. I, I don't understand different cultures with the lack of accountability as I've gotten older. And I do believe it's geographic and cultural within certain geographic areas, probably going back to the heritage 
Uh, Rick, you're in Minnesota. You know, the Scandinavians just don't really <laughs> do well with accountability. They Minnesota are. Nice. <laughs> Minnesota nice is a real thing. <laughs> it's uh, and people cower. <laughs> and I was watching the the uh, Saints game in the Cook receiver fumbles after a pass. He goes over and sits on the bench and puts a towel over his head. I'm thinking, you should be out there rooting on the defense, dude. <laughs> What's this all about? Now I see more and more of this in sports where people just put a towel over their head when they, they mess up. You know, I understand the personal pride, but the coach uh, should be over there coaching him up a bit. I mean, even with accountability, if you've read any of Ken Blanchard's books, you know, you tear somebody down. The last thing you do is pat him on the butt like Kirk would and, and say, get back in there. Now we know you can yeah. do better or you deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> do a little pairing. Yeah. And there's a real thing. So thank you both for, for sharing those points. And I'll, I'll just share like, like you, Rick, like this is the part that really jumped out to me about how sports has like instant accountability. I always say when you're running an organization, think about like you're running a pro sports team. If you're the general manager of that, if you're like, oh, I'm a little nervous about disciplining the coach or telling him what he needs to work on, all the fans are going to be screaming and yelling at you. And so you're like, okay, I guess I have to go do something. I actually have to show some courage and actually go, you know, do some managing of this. But think about it in your organization. The fans may not be screaming, yelling, but the employees are talking with one another. Like you said, Bruce, how they all applaud. They know what's going on. So it's up to you to know what's going on and steer people on the right path. Some tools that we used back when I was at Jameson Publishing, they were hugely helpful and really in a public setting. We had it called PQ, post-publication proofing. So after our magazine went out, we would ship it off to a proofreader and they would go and see if we had any errors in the magazine. Then we go and share those all around and everybody knew who made the error because your byline was on it. But then like to your point earlier, Rick, we talked about the system. What did this person do in order to make this error? What changes do we need to make to our system that helped us reduce the amount of errors? Then we wanted to improve the writer quality. So we had what we called a writer critique meeting. After articles are published in the magazine, each writer would nominate one of their feature stories. Everybody would read it, we would sit down and talk through in terms of what could be done better. And to back to our prior point about systemization, we had a list of what are the key criteria that make a quality feature story. We didn't just have somebody saying, I like this better, right? Because then it's all opinion based. So it was a critique. And boy, you want to talk about new people getting up to speed faster when they saw the criteria, when they got to hear people say, here's what I could have done better with this story, right? That's how it always started out. Uh, and so really it was all on display in terms of what the reality was. And here's the other thing with accountability. It's not just all saying, here's where you did poorly. Here's what you need to get better at. It's an opportunity to pat somebody on the back and say, that was outstanding. That was really good. Oftentimes people forget about that aspect of accountability. I remember working with somebody one time and they said, oh, I don't like the word accountability because it means I'm going to get fired. It's like, or it could mean you're going to get promoted or it could mean you're going to get, you know, more positive things if you do the good job. Just like in sports, you know, somebody throws for five touchdowns, you know, they're 29 of 32 throwing, no interceptions. They're going to love the accountability because everyone's going to be wanting to watch that film where if you're watching the film, you're not doing well. Well, that just seems like it's only it's only fair uh, in that regard. And let me ask both of you from a sales call standpoint, did you ever have sales calls that were recorded and everybody got together and reviewed sales calls? Did you guys do, have you ever done anything like that or do you do anything like that? Uh, I can I can start. I, I want to add one thing to what you said, Jim. You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about why is there a difference between what happens in business and, and on a sports team? 
And I feel like you just touched on something critical. Uh, after every play that happens on the football field or, or the basketball court, a customer satisfaction survey happens. Yes. And the feedback loop is closed and it's closed often and vigorously. I mean, that's probably, I, I'm certain that that's part of what drives this hyper accountability. We have to have results because if we don't, we're going to hear about it once every two minutes. Um, it's kind of interesting. Maybe, maybe, yeah. there's, maybe there's a lesson in there. More customer feedback would result in um, being able to build a better playbook and forcing you to practice more often. Yeah. Anyway, Good point. Uh, in terms of sales um, uh, or call reviews, we, we do tons of call reviews. We, um, it, on our sales team, not quite as much because I have the luxury uh, and we're working on expanding our sales team right now, but currently I have the luxury of having people who have been with me for a long time and, and sales team members who do an amazing job and uh, you know have more experience in the industry than I do uh, in some cases. Uh, so uh, absolutely call reviews is part of our onboarding process and a part of our continual process, especially with kind of our customer facing uh, technical people. Um, so we use that tool often. Got it. Great. And Bruce, uh, have you used uh, those in your career? Uh, sale call reviews? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, as an extension of role playing, moving into calls, recorded calls, you know, with a message to the other party on the line that this call may be recorded for quality assurance. We've all heard those when, when we're calling ourselves. Uh, I would caution folks, if you're not going to review them, then don't record them because if the, the salesperson or whomever customer service will be expecting feedback. And if they find that it's simply one of those, okay, if we measure this or recognize this, it's going to improve, uh, then you know, it, it's, it's really a waste of time. And the other part of accountability is really establishing clear expectations. How do you hold someone accountable to nebulous expectations? You yeah. really, to have clear expectations. Yeah. You need to make 10 call 10 outbound calls a day to new prospects or suspects or however you classify those. We need to have less than 10 errors <laughs> this game, less than 10 turnovers. Yes. Uh, you know, it, those types of uh, uh, accountability, you know, those types of accountability are imperative. You, you have to measure against something to have true accountability. And the peer review that has been discussed is just uh, phenomenal. And in, in your story, Jim, about the, uh, whatever we call it, Jameson, I go back yeah. way back. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, you remember when it was called Corey Publishing. Yeah, Jameson Publishing Business Solutions Magazine. Yep. Uh, not to be too anecdotal here, but I actually bought advertising from Mitch Adelson at that publication. Oh, yeah, was, Sheldon's kid, yeah. Sheldon's kid when he was a black sheep, so to speak. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think, you know, the one thing you have to remember is, you know, there really aren't any miscongeniality awards in business. Yes. <laughs> they, yeah, they don't exactly. exist. 
Yeah, so, so I guess we're running low on time. I have to make a call here. I would love to give both of you a point, but going back to those writer critique meetings, I would always be the one who would vote last. We had two writers who were tied, and I was actually like, I have it as a tie as well, so I think both of you should win. And everybody in the room was like, no, make a call, show some guts. Even the two people, they were like, you've got to choose one or the other. So, Rick, I'm going to give you the point on this. You both made fantastic points uh, with this. I'd say, uh, Bruce, the only thing I would disagree with is, I don't know if this is regionally based or like you said something about the Scandinavians I think it's culture based I think your organization your level of accountability is what you make it no matter where you are uh, on this uh, I, you know in the I can I guess only speak to North America uh, not worldwide but um, all right so last we're heading this could Jim, be over time Jim, oh, go ahead. I'm gonna have you over for dinner and this <laughs> passive thing that Bruce is talking about you can you can see it for yourself maybe all right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. We'll see. Jim just hasn't seen a 6'10 blonde guy cry, has he, Rick? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. How about you over at my parents' house? We'll have dinner. Be good. All right. I just, I just it, there was like painting all Scandinavians with a broad brush because kind of, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But uh, <laughs> it's all fun. We that can be a whole other podcast. We'll have a podcast just on accountability and on the, the toughness of the Scandinavians. Okay. So last thing. So we're running low on time. So we're only going to have to spend your response can only be 60 seconds on this. So this is the last point. Toughness and resilience. That's one of the reasons. So it's reason number eight on the list. It says give and accept candid feedback. You shouldn't tiptoe around and pour issues and areas to improve really ties in with what we just talked about from accountability. So Bruce, 60 seconds, and then Rick, 60 seconds, then we'll rock and roll from there. The, the resilience begins with the interview process. You know, the same with uh, sports, but they have the opportunity to go out and scout and so forth to determine exactly what they're getting. But I think that the resilience begins with the interview process. You have to ask those probing questions around uh, what, what's the most disappointing thing that's happened to you and how did you respond to that? What did you do next? Uh, if How many sales calls? I mean, one of the great uh, responses to failure was Thomas Edison saying, I didn't fail, I found 10,000 ways that this doesn't work. And if you're in a sales role, you know, uh, you learn. I just gotta keep dialing. I just gotta keep knocking on doors. Uh, those are uh, measurements to me of resilience and that perseverance to succeed. But, you know, my opinion is business people really need to begin that in the uh, in interview process and then address it very, very quickly with accountability if we don't see performance. Amen. Ricky, you know, I like that answer. Uh, what's your take in 60 seconds on accountability in the business world? Uh, so uh, accountability is huge. Oh, I'm sorry, on toughness and resilience, my bad. Tough, toughness and resilience. and resilience. I mean, accountability is huge. Uh, this is one of the points in the video where I felt a little bit of disagreement. Uh, accountability is important, but in terms of comparing the toughness and resilience of people in the sports world to the business world, um, I mean, uh, we use the how to hire like you just be cancer method. So step one is already a trial by fire. I mean, think about that conversation we had where we really laid just everything down on the table with the with that team of people I have. I mean, uh, that's tough. You know, that's the coach making you run until you puke. And then, I mean, I'm super proud of the people on my team. And to kind of give, give an example of where this toughness and resilience or, or 
something that applies to maybe the folks' businesses out there um, connected to this. Uh, one of the things we're going through right now is uh, we're refining who our customers are and who our products are. I talked about the tenure of my sales team. In the last six months, we've had to say goodbye to business relationships we've had for 10 years or more. Awesome customers, awesome people. And I'm asking my sales team to, you know, bid them farewell. Like, we love you, but we can't do business with you anymore. I mean, that takes, that's tough. And yeah. they come to work the next day with a smile on their face. So, you know, in terms of the contrast between sports and business, I don't know, my team's tougher than a lot of sports teams are. So I got to disagree a little bit with this one. All right. Well, as much as I want to give the point to Rick because he plugged my book, Hire Like You Just Beat Cancer, my first book, I will use this opportunity to say, if you're an RSPA member or if you're listening to this podcast and you want a copy of that book, I'm happy to send a PDF format uh, over to you. That's something I published uh, eight years ago. So happy to share that with RSPA members. But I'm going to give the point to uh, to Bruce because, well, A, first, I'm rooting for overtime. That's part of it. Uh, but also because he brought it up in the interview that you have to create that environment, get the example of when they did that and then also test them in the interview process and see how they respond to it in terms of sharing areas they need to improve. If you're interviewing a salesperson, talk about how they can communicate better if they're a long talker, if they're unclear. Um, we had four other positions for a technical position where you have people test out their technical acumen and show them feedback in terms of where they could get better. How do they respond to that? Instead of just saying, do you respond well, you get to see up close and personal how they respond to it. So gentlemen, both great points there. All right. So this means we are going into overtime, our first ever overtime, and we are uh, getting low on time. So 30 seconds each, and this is a topic neither one of you uh, is prepared for, but this is one of the reasons uh, that sports teams are better than businesses. And Rick, you're going to go first. The topic is discipline. Sports teams practice to get better. Businesses don't work on their skills as much as they should. Rick, 30 seconds, and then Bruce, 30 seconds for all the marbles. Uh in terms of how sports teams are different with discipline um i would uh i would say that um you know i mean i agree that discipline is substantially different in a, in a sports team you walk out onto the field especially professional sports teams you walk onto the field knowing every day that your job's at stake you know are you going to start the next game every game you play you know your life is on the line uh that's obviously very different than in the than in the business world. Bruce touched on the lack of accountability in organizations. So uh, I think there's a lesson to be learned. So yeah, there you okay. go. Okay, thank you, Rick. Uh, Bruce, uh, you're 30 seconds on discipline. I think, the dis I think the discipline in sports teams that could be utilized in business really uh, revolve around practice, practice, practice. It is a play, you know, you run a play until it's right. You run a play until it's right. You know, because people are watching football now, my wife is, you know, saying, how does he throw the ball that spot 13 inches in front of where the receiver or the, the defender is and the guy catches it? And I said, do you know how many times they've practiced that play? And that discipline to me is the uh, difference. 
Wonderful. Gentlemen, both great answers, but I have to make a call. And so, Bruce, I'm giving you the overtime point in terms of practice. I think that is something that is missing inside a lot of SMB organizations. They don't have a training program. They don't have regular in terms of working on their skills. They just show up and work and work and work every day. I've known even some organizations, they devoted the first hour of every day to skill development and folks getting better in practice, practice, practice. So the final score in overtime Bruce Mann three, Rick Fueling two. So Bruce gets the gold medal, Rick gets the silver. Gentlemen, thank you for playing uh, Battle of the Channel Stars. Again, we're low, we're very short on time, but Rick, uh, what is your reaction to, uh, I guess, any feedback that you have in terms of what we just uh, talked about for the last 50 minutes or so? Any final pointers that you have for our audience? Uh, well, firstly, uh, I'd like a recount. I guess, obviously, <laughs> I'm gonna start there. Um, watch the video bruce bruce kicked it off with what we need to do as a result of this podcast you need to watch the video i guarantee you'll walk away with one thing that will change how you run your business going forward thank you rick and uh, attorneys will be contacting me on your behalf i'm sure soon so uh bruce what are your final uh words for our audience and uh, again congratulations you will both you'll receive a certificate uh saying you received a gold gold award uh for battle of the channel stars uh, first of all, Jim, thank you for uh, moderating this uh, contentious uh, environment here today. And uh, Rick, thanks for being such a gracious loser. Uh, but beyond that... Uh, silver medalist. No losers you know, in the RSP. Me, silver medalist. A, a gracious silver medalist, you know. But the, uh, I think, the, number one, you know, Rick, thank you so much for sending that video along. I, I really enjoyed that and believe it is one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, I'd like to see resellers in general and vendors in general begin thinking now about how COVID, as nasty and, and tragic as it is, may create opportunities. How is it that someone can utilize or, or partner with whomever can help them compete as businesses begin reopening, as these shuttered shop spaces begin being occupied again? It's going to occur, so you know, be prepared. And I'd like to hear a lot less about, you know, people being toasted, so to speak. Uh, that's, you know, that's old news now. Go do something about it as opposed to whining. And if you look, you know, if you watch that video a couple of times, I think you'll be energized. Great points. Yeah. What actions can you take? Uh, to deal with the challenges and the opportunities today. We're not passive players in this. Now's the opportunity for us to act. What we hope uh, to our listeners and viewers, you enjoyed today's discussion and fierce competition. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate it if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. The more stars, the better. And Rick, I don't want you to go back and change your view, uh, your stars down not one <laughs> because of today's result. Uh, and if if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again, big thanks to Rick Fueling and Bruce Mann for sharing their wisdom with us today and both being good sports. Thanks to RSPA marketing manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.